Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatwin, and this week's guest is Eric Strickland, former Nebraska basketball guard and nine-year NBA veteran. We talked about moving from California to Omaha in middle school, the benefits of being a three-sport athlete, his rivalry with Andre Woolridge, playing Tecmo Bowl with Latrell Sprewell, his turbulent career at Nebraska, and his newest basketball dream. You're now freaking Darth Vader. You know, you've been used to being Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and, you know, everybody kind of looking to you and, and, and all of that. Now you're, you're on the dark side. I hated off days in baseball. Days where I had to be off and I had to just eat sunflower seeds and sit there and watch a nine-inning game. Each sport taught me um, something that enabled me to be great in the individual sport that I chose. So that part of you is like, God dang it, did I choose wrong? That was one thing that uh, Jason Kidd didn't like. Uh, there was times we almost got in the fight. This is where I come from. What are you doing in Dallas these days? Uh, you know, my, my wife and I, we own a, a tax and accounting firm. I referee. I'm also uh, president of basketball operations uh, for uh, ePlay Technologies, which we we kind of digitize the, uh, the the scoring uh, book systems, which allow you to be able to uh, keep uh, records of your games uh, throughout the duration of your career. So instead of using the paper books, we, we digitize that process. So that, that, uh, those are some of the things that I'm doing right now. You retire, got- you retire at 35, but you, you know, you're, you're still a young guy. So after you played enough golf and done all of those things, you, you know, you, you find something else to occupy that space and time. You can only play so much golf. <laughs> you've, uh, you've gotten pretty serious about the officiating stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty serious about it. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, progress. I think uh, it's been the thing that's reinvigorated me uh, again. Kind of like when I, you know, played ball and uh, you know, making it into the NBA and how that kind of re- reinvigorated a passion. I think it's brought that back to me again. It's it's brought me along the game, kept me close to the game, just from another perspective of what I've always known. What level? What level are you officiating at? <laughs> No, right now I um, I do college. I do um, our highest level of JUCO in Texas, uh, Eastern JUCO, Western JUCO, Metro JUCO, uh, to include NAIA, and uh, uh, I also do high school. And so we're we're in the playoffs right now. So I have a playoff game and another college game tomorrow. Uh, well, playoff tomorrow and college game on Saturdays. So. But I'm staying pretty active on that front and, and looking to go ne- and go to next level stuff starting this this summer. What uh, how do you how do you handle being on, being on the other side of the whistle? Uh, is it is it a little bit different? Uh, it, it's very much different. Um, uh, it, it's actually uh, more of the game than you would you 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 would expect from a player and from a coaching position. Uh, 
it, it, it entails a lot of that, but just next level of uh, awareness, not only of clocks, of coaches, of bench, of, uh, you know, time and score and situation and, you know, what's appropriate, and, you know, the tools that you need to use. I mean, it's just a whole gamut of things that, um, <clears throat> you know, that goes beyond uh, what you do as a player and even as a coach when I coached. So, um you know, I, I love I love love that because each game is new, it's fresh. Um, I love my wife, so it keeps me um, not having to be with the team and breaking down films and doing all of that stuff. I pretty much go, I you know, watch my film, study that, but then I go home, you know, or or I fly to the next place, but my wife can go with me. So it's it's uh, you know, it gives me the ability to you know stay close and still you know do the do and have time with my wife and family. Um. You are. Uh, have you given any technicals? Are, are you are you quick with the whistle on the, on giving out tees? Oh, yeah. No, you know, <laughs> you know. Speaking of that, you know, as you said, you know, I, I still apply what I did as a player. You know, when you go into places like Missouri or into hostile environments like San Antonio or places where you play. You know, there's fans that are yelling at you. You're at the free throw line. It's crucial. You've got to make that big. You know, you hear, you know, people saying a lot of stuff. You have to learn how to tune that out. So I apply that on the referee side of things. I tune out things, and I pretty much stay focused on what's going on in the court. You know, but then, um, you you know, dealing with players, dealing with coaches, um, you just try to have rapport with them in the same aspect, give respect to them in in the way that, you know, you'd want to be treated. And, of course, you know, you're going to have uh, situations where, you know, the emotions get high and you, you may have to tech a, tech a player or a coach may want a technical. And you have to understand how to use those tools, how to address them, and how to maintain a balance without you raising your level uh, to theirs. And so it, it's a great training ground for um, knowing how to communicate and, and deflect and, and manage uh, emotions in, in, in high-tense situations. The, the, there's nobody that can criticize you for uh, not knowing uh, have it, have it, how to play the game or you know knowing what it's like to be out there. I mean, you've got you've got more experience than than just about any official that I've ever heard of. Yeah, I think um, I think you know as I think back, I don't I don't even recall of any um, you know ex players or NBA guys that have uh, gone the official route. You know, let alone the college route. I know there's two or three of them that that happen to go in the NBA, uh, but I don't know many. Uh, it, it's it's a very humbling thing, and I don't think a lot of a lot of guys. You know, when you're used to being in the light, and, you know, uh, being the one who is praised, <laughs> then uh, you're now freaking Darth Vader. You know, you've been used to being Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and you know everybody kind of looking to you and 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 all of that. Now you're you're on the dark side, so to speak. So it's it's but it's fun. How much you know soul searching did you have to do to kind of figure out what you wanted to do with the next twenty thirty years? Because I I know you thought about uh, you thought about coaching too, right? Yeah, yeah, I did coach you know in high school and the collegiate level. Yeah, you could you um, you assist you and, assisted Doug yeah. Hitter. Yeah, I did. I helped Doug out and uh, had fun with that group of guys. You know, it's, uh, um, I think you do. You kind of weigh different things. You start businesses and then, 
you know, you see the turn of the economy and then, you know, kind of have to readjust. And, and uh, you know, in 08, then uh, I was working with the Mavs at that time and realized, you know, uh, being in the office side wasn't fun for me, uh, you know, and then got to the basketball side of things and went out with Coach and, and then uh, went to New Mexico Highlands with another friend of mine that was down there coaching and working college. And, um, and then, you know, you come to a point where, you know, I think the kids were different, you know what I mean, from when I came up. And um, there was a, it seemed like a lot of entitlement. Kids didn't, you know, have the same drive and passion. I think that was irking me a little bit. Uh, and so um, then you reshift and, and, and you know, I uh, came and, and work with my wife and we, we work in the office together. And you have those things and, and uh, you, you know, you love doing that together. And then all of a sudden the, the officiating thing kind of popped up out of nowhere. Nick Van Exel was coaching with the Texas Legends at that time. He had asked me to come coach and I prayed about it. And ultimately, uh, you know, got wisdom on that side. And, you know, being a licensed minister and, you know, working in the church and you, you, you do a lot of different things that keeps you active. But, uh, you know, those are, those are some of the things that, uh, uh, you know, gave me a little fire, gave me a little spark. And I, I actually love it. When, uh, when did you decide or, or what was, how did you come to decide that, that kids were just not the, not the way they used to be when you grew up? Yeah, I was cool. When, you know, coaching in college, and you you see a lot of these kids. You know, some of them were uh, former Division One athletes. They were you know recruited highly, um, and you know you just you see them wasting away. Um, you know the talent. Uh, I, you know you see them caught up in the social media aspect, and you know who people told you you were, and and not actually proven what you know on the court what you know you would expect of someone that uh, has been gifted with with such an amazing talent and um so i i think i started to realize it at that point and 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 i just said i kind of got burnt out and was just like i don't i don't i don't think that this is for me you know what i mean whereas as an official uh you know you deal with the attitudes on a on a different level uh Whereas I don't, I don't have to, you know, uh, manage and coddle to the behaviors and, and, and deal with that. I only have to deal with it and adjudicate it, you know, if it's, if it's out of line. And then, you know, you, you tools to handle that too. So um, I think that's why the, uh, the refereeing aspect has uh, been very fulfilling. It was fresh. Uh, it was a new uh, depth to the rules. Uh, that I was able to dig into in, in a different way of viewing the game, which made it more interesting to me. You, you had a scary health situation a couple of years ago. Is that right? Didn't you have an, a, an ACL surgery yeah. that, that kind of went wrong? What happened? Uh, uh, no, I had a um, Achilles ten, tendon surgery. Okay. Um, that ultimately led to a uh, pulmonary embolism. A pulmonary embolism that actually went into my lung. And... Uh, uh, was caught at the right time, so uh, I was truly blessed to be able to catch that because uh, you know it could have moved into my heart or you know into my brain or, or other places where I wouldn't be here today. So um, you know, God truly blessed me and, 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 and revealed that to me at the right time because uh, I'd never had major surgery. I never knew that something like that could occur, and uh, you know to. 
to went to the hospital at the right time and 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 literally when I was in the hospital, um, I went to just kind of figure out why I had this pain in my side and and uh, from that standpoint to be in there and to have an attack to where I couldn't breathe, uh, uh, you know, it, it was truly uh, uh, God's mercy that that had me there at that specific time. Wow. There's no telling what would have happened had I been at home. Eric, you are uh, sort of famously famous for your work at work ethic. Um, you know, playing three different sports and, and getting to the NBA and uh, being a, a hard nosed defender and all these things. Uh, who's the who's the hardest working athlete that you were ever around? Oh wow! Um, I was around a lot of them. I mean, Dirk Dirk was one of those guys. Um, he would spend countless hours uh, in the gym. Um, uh, Reggie Miller uh, was one of those guys uh, that I had the, the pleasure of, of, of working with and, and spending time with and getting to know and how his mind uh, thought and, and processed. Um, um, shoot, uh, um, Paul Pierce was was a was a guy. Uh, that you know, I happen to play with, and, and 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 just not only was he immensely talented, but he he was um, um, he was efficient in everything and everything that he did. Uh, so it was it was fun uh, on that aspect too. Uh, probably those that I played against was you know would be a Kobe Bryant and of course Michael Jordan. You know those guys just you know uh, when guys were sleeping they were. Uh, they were definitely spending time in the gym and, and correcting any flaws or any errors that they may have made. Uh, those guys were, were those type of guys as well. Who was uh, who was the toughest guard? Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. Who who stands out? You, you guarded all of them. Um, actually, the hardest guards for me were were you know of course you you know the Michaels and the Kobe's they they just have so many counters so. You know, um, they have a counter for everything that you could do defensively. Um, so they're they're always tough. But really, the hardest guys for me um, was the the Nick Van Exels and the uh, Damon Stoudemire's, those those herky jerky type guys that really don't have a pattern to their game. You know, there's patterns to certain games. You knew what what guys like Michael wanted to do and. You know, you know spots they wanted to get to, and Kobe, and you know, you you just have to be aware of everything. But uh, those guys were just herky jerky. They just had no pattern. There was no pattern, so they were really tough to guard. And uh, those were the ones that were most difficult for me. Your uh, your career, uh, you played nine years in the NBA. You played with six different teams. Uh, I, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but I, I want I want listeners to hear some of the guys that you played with, just the personalities that are that are so interesting. Uh, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Dennis Rodman, Michael Finley, those were all on those Dallas teams. Jason Kidd was on those teams. Jim Jackson, Jamal Mashburn, Ed O'Bannon, Dennis Scott. Uh, with the Knicks, Marcus Camby, Glenn Rice, Mark Jackson, Latrell Sprewell. Larry Johnson, Charlie Ward. With Boston, it was Ken- Kenny Anderson, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, Joe Johnson. Uh, with the Pacers, it was Tim Hardaway, Reggie Miller, Ron Artest. I mean, you like, th- these are some of the most interesting characters uh, over the last 20 years of the NBA. Uh, who is Who are the most interesting personalities uh, out of that group? Uh, 
Oh man, uh, <laughs> uh, between Dennis and uh, Ron Artes, aka uh, Meta World Peace, um, those two were by far. Uh, uh, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not a clinical guy as far as that's concerned. But they, they had some bipolar aspects to them, you know. <laughs> You know, they one way and one day they were one way and another day they were another, and then you didn't know what to expect. And it, it was it was one of those types of things. Yeah, but um, yeah, some of the coolest and funnest guys, man. Um, you know, guys that got raps based on situations that have that had happened to them, like with Spreewell and and PJ Carlissimo and that all. But you know, when you're with Spree, uh, you know his on the court intensity he's like freaking one of the coolest dudes to hang with you know what i mean very intelligent um he's not what he look or seem how he would look on the court or the intensity he portrayed on the court no just one of the, the coolest guys that uh you could be around i mean we me him and Camby spent many a nights just playing uh nintendo and and uh, uh, Tecmo Bowl freaking to the wee hours of the morning. Um, then you have um, guys like Michael Red, who uh, was was extremely um, uh, uh, you know biblically inclined, and taught me a lot about my relationship with Christ. And and we spent many nights playing dominoes and just talking about life and things. And then Paul Pierce is is just he, he's just a classic big brother. You know what I mean and. You know those those guys, Antoine Walker. Just uh, um, they were fun. It was a fun group of guys to be around uh, during those times. And people wouldn't wouldn't know the kind of guys that Steve Nash and Dirk are off the court. Uh, some of the most fun, intense, and up to have a good time, have a beer, and just just you know we chop it up with you and and know how to have a good time and. We we had some great times in those Dallas teams as well. So yeah, I mean these these guys uh, are great uh, personalities. It, probably not what you would expect um, based on what you would see on TV or what you would see in the news or, or whatever like that. You know, you know outside and off the court, they were extremely wonderful guys and great family men and men and and. and uh, uh, were fun to be around. Fun so, to go in the trenches with. So, Eric, Cedric Sabalas was in that group too, and he was a great brother. Eric, you're uh, you're playing old school Tecmo Bowl with Latrell Sprewell, is that right? Oh man, yeah, we had some, you know, <laughs> knockdown, drag out, you know, bump and grinds uh, on football uh, Tecmo Bowl, absolutely. <laughs> what was your favorite team? I mean, you played on you know six different franchises, nine different years. You know, a couple playoff teams in there. Uh, wh- which was your favorite group? Um, I would say my. It's actually between two. Um, as an organization and as a group of guys that um, that loved the game and wanted the best for the organization and just uh, we were coming up short and it actually hurt me that I, I got traded because I was beginning to see the turnaround uh, with the group of guys that we had and and to be in the doldrums of the uh, NBA for a few years and then you know start making noise and now you're seeing the turnaround and then be traded 
uh, yeah, that was kind of disappointing. So that that Dallas that Dallas team and organization I knew was 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 great. Now the Boston Celtics would be uh, that in that same you know tier with a group of guys that were predicted to be at the bottom one or two of the East that year. Where we came together for one common goal was with a chip on our shoulder to prove everyone wrong and to finish. I think we finished with the second best record in the East that year, but with the third seed because of the Atlantic and Eastern Division uh, breakdown, we uh, we ended up the third seed. Uh, and they go to the conference finals that year. Um, it was absolutely amazing. Boston is an awesome and amazing city to play in. Uh, the fans are phenomenal. I mean, we ended up nicknaming it the Jungle, um, and and it was a raucous place to play. Uh, so that was that was fun. And with that group of guys uh, that were undermined and you know was looked over, and and what we did was phenomenal. Your uh, that 2000 season, you 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 started. You averaged 13 a game, five rebounds, three assists. And like you said, you, you that Dallas team was kind of going in the right direction. Uh, it had to be sort of stunning to be traded after a season like that, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. Uh, you know, but I understand the business of it. You know, at that point in time, I was actually the starter. So, you know, the city, the city loved me, uh, but. You know, um, I think Donnie Nelson really wanted Steve to have autonomy without looking over his shoulders. Um, you know, I'm not the easiest guy to have to battle in practice each day uh, and to try to take a position from. So uh, I, the, the easiest thing and the best thing was to move me out of the way to allow Steve to become who Steve was. And and so, you know, at first you don't you don't understand that, but then I began to understand it um, that it was a business thing. And you know, me personally, I, I wouldn't have mind allowing Steve to become Steve. I just wanted to win. You know what I mean? And and would have did anything. I would have went to the bench, and maybe they thought I wasn't. You know, wouldn't have accepted that, and maybe they didn't want the news and stuff to be writing about Steve as they were. You know what I mean? So. Um, it allowed Steve to make his mistakes and, and become an MVP type player, which um, was great, was great for the organization. Eric, uh, Eric, this goes yeah. this goes all the way back. This goes all the way back to I mean, you're basically your whole athletic career, where on the practice floor you often made guys mad, right? I mean, almost because yeah. you, because you practice too hard. Uh, d- describe that because there's sort of a tension there where that's what makes you that's what made you as good as you were especially defensively and yet teammates didn't always respond very well to that yeah I mean um, when I was a rookie uh, of course you know trying to make the team that you know that was one thing that uh, Jason Kidd didn't like um, you know uh, there was times we almost got in the fights because you know I was hounding him like fly on you know what um, and, you know, of course, you don't like that kind of pressure. You just kind of want to go easy and get through it. And I'm like, man, well, I want to whip your tail, you know. Um, uh, that that also, when I was in college, pretty much almost led me as close as I've ever been to quitting basketball is, um, you know, I think the frustrating part of that senior year 
was when we went through that lull and we had that such dissension amongst the ranks and between us and the coaching staff and and here I am the middleman trying to be the bridge between <clears throat> the coaching staff as well as um, the players and and uh, it, it just led to much more frustration watching the second team beat our heads in practice and and you know, being as tense as I was, I you know, I almost quit had it not been for Jeff Smith who um, you know, grabbed me and, you know, when I ran to the locker room and threw my jersey down and really talked to me, um, you know, I would have, you know, left that team. So Now wait a second, um, Eric, Eric You're Jeff, right, it, it does. Jeff wasn't Jeff wasn't an assistant coach at that. He he was gone by then. Yeah. No, Jeff was an assistant. Oh he was. Yeah, he was still the assistant. Okay. So that that was not your senior year. He was gone your senior year. Yeah, my junior year. Okay, my bad. Yeah, I was I was off. Yeah, it was no. Actually, was it Jeff? Um, Scott Howard. He's now a scout. Scott Howard. It was Scott. That's it. Okay. It was Scott. Before we get into you know ninety three and ninety four and the NCAA tournaments and stuff like that. That 96 season was so fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I think it probably did a number on you personally. Um, how, how do you explain what happened to that team? I mean, you, you've been on a lot of teams now. What ended up happening is, you know, uh, certain guys maybe wasn't playing with the intensity or, you know, the word had gotten around that, you know, uh, Parents were, in, you know, talking to coaches, you know, maybe Jerron was going to leave had it not been for, you know, maybe Danny giving him more minutes or whatever the case may be. The rumors were out there, and, and some of the players, you know, from, uh, you know, Jason Block and and uh, Chad Ideas and, 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 and Tom Wall, you know, kind of they started clicking, uh, Lee Nelson and, that group started clicking, and then another group on the other side, the Narc Gardners and the Terrences and, and Jerons, they, you know, started clicking. And, and so there was just a dissension, you know what I mean? It, was, it wasn't um, um, the unity that we needed in order to uh, uh, be the type of team that we were. I mean, we were probably one of the most talented teams in the Big Eight at that time. I mean, there's, there was no question that in any given night we could beat anybody. That's, you know, we were we were that good. Um, but uh, with that dissension, you know, guys didn't play with the same passion. Um, then, you know, it seemed like the coaching staff was was kind of promoting some of it. You know what I mean? It was their fault. It was this fault. And, and so it left us kind of broken. And so, um, you know, I think it was – a lot of people have a misconception of what transpired. You know, they say it was a mutiny and all this stuff. There was no mutiny. You know, we we were supposed to have the day off anyway, uh, but then coach called practice. But we as a team, we got together in that in that season, and we just came and we met at, uh, I think we met at Tom Walt's house or apartment, and we all just came in there and, and just hashed it out. You know what I mean? Look, man, what do I got against you? Hash it out. What do you, what do you have against me? Hash it out. We went down each individual person and, and just got naked. You know what I mean? And just was like, not naked literally, but between each other. You know, just really opened up and, and unhashed any animosities or any 
things that we thought was being, and then we realized that, you know, some of it and where it came from, and, and ultimately we came to the conclusion, look, man, we're going to let our senior year not become our senior year because maybe we have something against the coach, or maybe we have something against you, or maybe we have something against the organization as a whole, whatever. You know, we're going to just knock this out. We're going to finish our senior year uh, on a high note. And wherever, you know, we're, we're, our goal was to try to win the Big 8. You know, we lost a really tough game against, I think, Iowa State um, or Kansas State, one of the two. I can't remember exactly who, but it was either Iowa State or Kansas State. And uh, and we lost a tough one. And um, uh, uh, But then we went into the NIT, and we, we said we're not going to stop until we, we raise the trophy, and, and we did. Let's go. Let's go all the way back. Um, you moved to Omaha in 1983 from California. Uh, you were. Uh, you, wow. you, your dad was in the. <laughs> your dad was in the Air Force, right? My dad was an officer in the Air Force, and we were stationed in uh, California. And, and yeah, we ended up moving off. What uh? What did you think of that move? You you. I don't imagine. Uh, you know, nine year old Eric was very excited about that. Uh, yeah, I think I was 12. Okay, okay. That's neither here nor there. But I think I was 12, and, and yeah, you're right. Um, you know, my dad says we're leaving California. I was around a great group of guys at that time. We'd come up in the ranks of football. I was really excited about going to Cabrillo High School and, and playing football and basketball there. Um, you know, a great NFL player came out of that same area. We were we were great friends back then, Napoleon Kaufman, and uh, <clears throat> and so I was thinking I was going to be there. And and uh, you know, sunny California, and, and and my dad says you're going to Nebraska. I'm like, I'm like I'm not going. I'm like I'm going to stay here. Can I stay with a friend? <laughs> and uh, you know, all I knew Cal- all I knew about Nebraska was corn and it was cold. So. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take um, heed to that. But of course, my dad, my dad, and he, you know, he's very uh, uh, disciplined. And you know, I was going, I wasn't staying nowhere without without him. So uh, we ended up coming, and I arrived. And and upon arrival in California, there's a crazy blizzard that jumps off. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm like, this is why I didn't want them. But um, uh, we get there. I miss, uh, I think I missed football season. Uh, as a seventh grader, I got, I think we came in the winter and December time frame. So I missed some of basketball, but didn't get a chance, didn't got a chance to play a little bit uh, upon arrival. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was weird for me at that point in time as a young kid you know coming to nebraska but i grew to love it you're uh i mean you, you were you were sort of a phenom at a young age i mean you were you caught everybody's eye even as a freshman in, in high school uh but but your some of your best battles came came you'd go up to north omaha and play against uh you know badgett and woolridge and and even jaron boone when he'd come back uh for the summers mm-hmm. uh you you knew all those guys at a young age right yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I knew of them. You know, Curtis Marshalls, and you, you knew you knew all the names that they, David Knights, and and you know the uh, <clears throat> Walt, um, you know, not Walt Williams, but uh, um, Steve Spurrier.
Erlocks and I mean, you knew all the guys that were were talented in the area, and, and yeah, you'd go up there to the boys' club and 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 get it in. You know, I, I think also too, my dad did me a great service by, you know, um, being in the being in the Air Force. You know, you have access to the base gym. Um, so my dad at 12, 13 years old would take me in there and, and, you know, the men would be like, oh, he's not playing, but you know, at that age, I'm about five ten, pushing six foot. And my dad was like, no, he's playing. And I would play with the men and they would, you know, try to beat me up. It allowed, that, that, that's what kind of created my game. It allowed me to be physical and showed me how to be physical and that showed me how to stand my ground. And I was able to take all of those lessons and those beatings that I had as a kid and the competition, uh, you know, playing against these men um, that I was able to take into my game and, and as a high school player and, and to allow me to mature. And, and, and the way I was able to play as an NBA player, you know, that style of game. So, yeah. well, Was your dad hard on you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, very hard on me. But as a kid, I think I was a – I was – I was a little bit different, um, you know. I, I was I was very, I was a socialite, but yeah, I was a loner. You know, I would go in the gym or on the court by myself and imagine I was playing a full game. You know, I would imagine playing multiple positions, all positions. Um, I just had a very vivid imagination with regard to uh, creativity in my game, and it it, it helped me to prepare me for uh, game situations uh, throughout my career. Hmm. Um, your, your freshman year, you know, like I said, you're playing at Bellevue West, but you're also playing football and and, and all 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 state football as a sophomore and junior. You know, you're playing baseball. Uh, granted, that was a different era, but but did you have a hard time juggling all three of those? Um, no, no. I actually looked forward to each season, and you know, the thing that I took people when I speak to kids or, you know, organizations or uh, to schools or whatever, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that a lot of kids today, they're, they're becoming so focused so early. And I say, man, do it all, do as much as you can for, for as long as you can, because each sport taught me um, something that enabled me to be great in the individual sport that I chose. Um, you know, the football part of me being a good linebacker, safety, uh, wide receiver, it was enabled me to look not only for the weaknesses of the opponent or the defender, um, to be deceptive in my routes and, and to be watchful as a safety as to what they're trying to run, or, you know, what formation they're in, where is this ball probably going to go. And so as a basketball player, I was able to do that defensively. That's what made me good. That's what made me, if they had charges at the time that I played, I'd probably have the record for most charges ever in, in, in the league. Um, you know, that enabled me to understand what teams were trying to run, what they were trying to do, and, and, and I would be in the place to best help my team in those specific situations. So the physical aspect allowed me to be able to guard a Tim Duncan and, and guard a Michael Jordan and a Scottie Pippen and, and uh, Gary Payton, all guys that were size-wise bigger than me. You know, I I guard anybody up to, you know, I even guarded Sha- Shaquille O'Neal for like five minutes in a game. So, 
you know, those things enabled me to, uh, football enabled me to do that. Baseball enabled me to, to fail, you know, and baseball, you, you've got to train your mind to fail because if you hit three out of 10 times, you're doing good. So, you know, you're going to miss shots. You're going to miss, uh, opportunities. You're going to miss layups. You're going to miss free throws, but it's not what you do after you miss. It's what you do when you get back up again. And so it allowed me to tune out the mistakes a lot quicker and a lot easier not to compound them. Um, that's what baseball was able to mean. And baseball is very strategic. It allows you to think multiple processes ahead. And as a point guard in the NBA, you want to be able to do that. You know, you've got to be able to think not just what's going on in the now, but okay, how is this game progressing? What is happening in this time and score situation? Okay, they're making a run here. What do we need? Who do we need to go to at this specific time? Oh, it's hot. You know, that's what baseball does. You know, you, you, it's not that you just stand up, hit a ball. It's where the ball is hit in the in the gap. If it's hit down the line, if it's hit short, wherever the players are, how many people are on base. You're always processing multiple situations and plays ahead. So that's. That's kind of what baseball was able to give to me, and basketball kind of compounded all of those together, and that's why I chose it. You know, I, basketball wasn't my best sport. I'm guessing. I'm <laughs> guessing, as an official, I'm guessing you love to call charges. Oh yeah, those are those are fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, you, you, you probably, are fun. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So you, you said basketball wasn't your best sport. What, what was your best sport? Football. Yeah. Football was my best sport. Why didn't you do, um, why didn't you do that at Nebraska? I mean, why didn't you go down there to, as a scholarship wide receiver, you know, right out of high, right out of high school? Well, in my um, in my um, my junior year, like I said, I was a little different kid. Um, I began to look at the multiple routes that I was going to possibly go. Is it going to be? Is it going to be? Um, you know, really, it was football between football and basketball. Baseball only came along because Dave Schillinglaw, who was the coach at the time, comes to me. He knew I wasn't going to play football um, my senior year, and I'll and, 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 and we can touch on that later. I'll get back to that if you want to ask about how that transpired, how I got into baseball. But but with football, I began to look at the collective bargaining agreements as a young kid, seventeen, eighteen, and I looked at okay, if I go this football route, what does that mean? Well, you know, it may say 40 to $60 million on your contract, but really it may be only 5 or 10 because you really only guaranteed your bonus. So did I really want to risk the things? I'd, I'd, had, I'd had a constant uh, stinger in my shoulder, um, and, and did I want to risk those types of injuries, knees, concussion, you know, my shoulder, you know, being out of whack and all those things for a non-guarantee of where they could get rid of me at any time. I mean, I could, you know, get a six-year, $60 million contract, but I may only end up with maybe 15 or 20 of it, you see, and they can get rid of me. So basketball began to become more of the root in my junior year because I knew my senior year I, I was going to have to do it all. Cluster had just left. Um, I was probably going to have to play quarterback, running back, 
uh, wide receiver, safety, uh, linebacker. I was going to probably have to do the whole gamut and just wear myself out. So I said, uh, you know, I think that next year they ended up going like one and eight or two and eight. And so I was like, did I really want to, you know, do that? And, um, that's why I made my choice to focus on basketball. And then of course, baseball came in when I had that conversation with Dave Schillinglaw. Uh, I want to ask you about the cluster thing because, you know, that was, uh, these were sort of the days before everybody, everybody was throwing the ball all over the place, but you guys, uh, you were like, you know, Montana and Jerry Rice. I mean, you were doing all sorts of stuff. It was kind of a, a dynamic duo, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we used to call ourselves the one two connection and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we had a ran the ball and we threw it, but you know, we just happened to throw it and create big opportunities, you know, uh, and you're right at that time, we had a very close out offense. And so, um, we have done what we did, uh, without the spread, type of, uh, of of offense, which we created. I mean, I, I ended up with double teams most of the time and and still was able to, uh, you know, do pretty well. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it was a different time, but it was fun, you know, to be with Cluster and to uh, have had the opportunity to play with him. He was a, he was a great talent. So you, you, know, you, just, well. you just stumbled into baseball then? Yeah, um, you know, Dave Schoenhall, who was the baseball coach with uh, Don Story, um, they, he approached me and he said, you know, hey, Strick, listen, uh, he was my marketing teacher. I was in DECA, and he sat me down at the class and was like, man, listen, I know you're not playing basketball, I mean, uh, football, so I think you should play baseball. And, um, you know, I, I sincerely think of that if you play, you'll get drafted. And um, I was like, yeah, right, all right, man. Uh, and so finally he talked me into it, and I decided to go out and ended up hitting like 483. Uh, and everyone came calling from the Yankees, you know, multiple organizations. They came to the school for me to work out. And, and the Yankees actually called and wanted to draft me in the first round, but they didn't want to play me. They didn't want me to play basketball. And, uh, and so, of course, I passed on that. I, you know, wanted to play basketball, and the Marlins said, "Hey, you you can play basketball and and baseball. Come to extended spring, and and we'll just draft you in the middle rounds." I was like, "Cool, got a pretty nice bonus, you know, to be in the middle rounds," and uh, that's kind of how I fell into baseball. So, so the Yankees were going to pick you in the first round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Yankees wanted to take me in the first round, but. They wanted me to commit only to baseball. They wanted me to play full full time. And of course, if you're going to draft somebody that high, you you want them, uh, you know, you you want to be able to groom them because you want to push them. And uh, you know, and and that's ultimately why I ended up having to leave baseball because after two going on three years, the Marlins had me in their top ten prospect list, and they wanted to start pushing me. They wanted to send me to double A. They wanted me to go to winter ball. They would, you know, they wanted to start pushing me towards the major league track. And, and, uh, you know, they said, coach sat me down and said, straight coach Tosca. He sat me down and Carlos Tosca was his name. And 
he said, hey, Strick, listen, uh, I believe that you could be a great NBA, uh, uh, MLB player. I think you could also be a great NBA player, but at this point, you're going to have to make a choice. And so, um, you know, the thing that he offered, he said, hey, if you go and choose basketball, we'll leave the door open for you to come back. You're welcome to do so. And, and of course, I wasn't drafted, so I said, hey, this is an opportunity for me to go. It really made the choice easy. I was able to go. If basketball didn't work out, there was a door for me to come back. And so, but, uh, you know, the rest is history. Basketball ended up working out. Eric, I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to imagine you in business class in high, yeah. in business class in high school, you know, with your uh, notebook paper while your while your classmates are learning how to how to type or whatever they're doing, and you're uh, you're sitting there doing pros and cons of professional football versus professional basketball uh, with maybe major league in the picture too. I mean, that's a little bit of an unusual situation for a 17 year old kid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'd always had the dream, and I knew that I was athletically gifted. But then my dad had set me down um, my freshman year, and, and you know, my grades coming out of eighth grade was kind of marginal. And, uh, you know, he asked me, you know, you know, son, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go to the NBA or the NFL. You know, I'm that's what I'm going to do. He says he really broke it down, you know, and, and broke the numbers down and showed me, you know, what that would entail, you know, that, you know, you, you're talking about a small percentage. And at that time, it was mostly the American side of things. And now it's even more international as it was when I was coming in. And there was a few, but, you know, now it's even more expansive. But uh, I said uh, he showed me those numbers and, you know, how small the opportunity was and and so I said uh, um, I said I need to get these grades and I began to change and become an honor roll student and and really think about that and that led me to also making my decision to go to Nebraska I knew that they had a great academic program um, that led me to be an ambassador for the University of Nebraska because I knew that I would meet CEOs and presidents of banks and organizations and and so forth and so on so i was also being strategic on that side of the coin as well um and and, and being an academic all big eight and, and making sure that i got my grade so that if he said you know you tore a knee or an achilles or uh something that was a lifelong injury that you know what are you going to do and those are the things that i had to think about and that that led me to make the decision to also get these grades right. What well, what's interesting about, you know, your path is first of all, the NBA is the hardest of those three to make just according to the numbers. Um, that's that had to weigh on your mind a little bit, but but also uh, I mean like you said, I mean you you were I think you had to work a little bit harder than most guys uh, because 63 and, and with your athleticism, that would have been off the charts in Major League Baseball or the NFL. But in the NBA, you know, that was a little bit more typical. So, I mean, in some ways, you chose the hardest. Mm-hmm. You, you, mm-hmm. you chose the hardest path, right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's no question basketball was the hardest path. It was the one I had the most passion for. It was the one I kind of loved the most. I hated off days in baseball days where I had to be off and I had to just eat sunflower seeds and sit there and watch a nine-inning game. (laughs) 
and I hated it. And so I was like, man, I wanted to be in the intensity of the game that was constant throughout. And that's why I think I loved, I loved, uh, you know, I loved basketball. Plus it was indoors. You know, <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine being, you know, in October, you know, going late, late with the Yankees and you're in that, you're freaking 30, 40 degree weather outside trying to play a baseball game. I didn't, I didn't know if I would feel that. <laughs> uh, Eric, your roommate, freshman, uh, after your freshman year of college, when you went to the Marlins and you spent the summer with the Marlins, uh, your roommate was Edgar Renteria, right? Yeah, yeah, one of my roommates. Well, he wasn't actually one of my roommates, but yeah, we were on the same team. Okay. We lived in the same complex, and, you know, he, he lived with, at that time, Edgar spoke not a lick of English. So. So he, what English he learned, he learned from us, and probably most of it was cuss words. First thing <laughs> he learned, um, but uh, he lived with a he lived with a guy, you know, Clemente Nunez, uh, who's a pitcher, and uh, um, I think uh, Luis. Um, I can't remember his last name. I think he was a catcher, and he lived with with a group of about four uh, Hispanic players that were on the team at that time. But yeah, he he we were in the same complex. So, uh-huh. Eric, you were, uh, you know, you're in the NBA, you're, you're sort of fighting for minutes and uh, trying to make your way in the league in 1997 when the Marlins win the World Series. Uh, wh- what's it like when you're watching that on TV? Right. What's it like when you're watching that on TV? Bro, listen, that happened to me the year I was going to come and play football. Where I chose not to, they win a national championship. And when I chose not to go the baseball route, they win an NBA, uh, MLB championship, and I didn't win either. So that part of you is like, God dang it, did I choose wrong? But, you know, ultimately, not everyone has the opportunity to do so, but I still think I chose right for me. But, yeah, it is one of those things where you look at hindsight 2020 and you're like, God dang it, I could have been with those guys. Yeah, you uh, you did talk to Tom Osborne about going out for Nebraska football. Uh, what was what was that conversation like? Um, it, it was it was always funny because um, you know, we would come into the training room. Uh, we would come into the training room, and there'd be times I would uh Tom in in the uh, halls or whatever, and he'd look at me like. And Tom is so cool. So he would be like, hey, Strick, when you coming? Strick, when you coming? That, I mean, that's really all he would say. Hey, we're waiting on you when you coming. And uh, he would put those seeds in me. And, uh, and, and you know, I went in and talked to him and expressed interest and talked to Coach Brown and, and uh, came out for a few practices and, and was really excited to do so. And then, you know, start getting wind, went out, and I didn't have a, a playbook. I didn't have uh, the first couple practices. I didn't have any uh, meetings to where I was, uh, you know, skilled on what what plays that, you know, we were going to be running. They would, just, they would just throw me in and say, okay, Eric, you're in the slot, run this, run that. And I would out, I'd go out and make plays, and it was surprising people, you know, that I was <laughs> – and played a lick of football in, in that long of a period, but was still able to catch and make plays and, 
and do things that I was able to do on there. And I probably went to two practices and then didn't show up after, you know, started getting calls about, you know, hey, if you want to you play in the NBA, you know, you, you may want to get off that football field type <laughs> of thing. I don't know if that was Coach Nee or, or what, you know, kind of feeding me on that, but it, it, was, it was something to the tune of that. <laughs> This was uh this was like the peak of the, I mean this is what ninety four I think right no ninety five no, it, it would have been my fifth year okay okay so ninety yeah it would have been my fifth year no actually yeah ninety six ninety seven I think it was the year that what they won with Scott Frost and and that group okay I think ninety ninety seven that that year okay ninety six ninety seven. It would it, I would have been a fifth year, so it was it was spring practice before that season. Okay, yeah, it would have been the, it, it would next, it next season. Yeah, it would have been the spring of '96 because it was it would have been right before you went to the NBA. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, that spring before. Did you uh, did you take any hits? Uh, it was a practice that was a. Um, marginal contact it was contact but it wasn't full contact okay so it was it was like some contact you know what i mean i think we weren't in full dress maybe but it wasn't full contact no <laughs> um eric your your uh your greatest rival uh might have been andre woolridge you know, with with everything that you've been through, uh, you guys you guys went back so far and had these epic battles in high school. I think I think one of the great games in uh, in Nebraska high school history was probably your your uh, senior year. Benson comes down to uh, comes down to Bell West and they're number one, mm-hmm. and they come back and they beat you guys, and you have forty three points on the that that night you broke Kerry Trotter's Class A scoring record. Uh, man, I would have killed to be in the building that night. C- can you describe what those experiences were like? Um, it was um, it was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, people came from all over Omaha. I don't think there was any any game that was going on that they didn't want to be in. And it literally, I think the marshals had to shut it down. They opened up the doors. Uh, at the far end of the gym. I mean, the Thunderdome now has those bleachers at the end of the gym. They didn't have that at the time. But they had. They opened up the doors, and it was literally standing room only. People were standing out uh, the other entrance, and it was they were standing room all the way through the door out there and, and on the other side as well. There was no place to move in that place. And it was absolutely phenomenal. I think the thing that upset me most is that I actually ripped Kenya Crandall so clean and I was about to dunk one <laughs> and they called a foul on me. I, I, that's how I freaking fouled out. And uh, But me fouling out, really, that, that allowed them to win that game. And uh, uh, it, was, it was disappointing, especially my senior year. I think what hurt me most about my senior year was that uh, we, you know, we had went to the finals the year before. We had pretty much everybody coming back. It was very similar. What was eerily crazy about it? It's very eerie that it was very similar to what transpired in Nebraska, um, where we have this great team, and it's pretty much the whole team coming back, and 
and to lay an egg. Uh, that's what happened with, with, with my high school team. I think guys started smelling themselves a little bit. Um, you know, I wasn't a selfish player, uh, but uh, I guess they, they felt, I think it happened one time at the Metro tournament. We're at the Metro and guys weren't passing. They were freezing me out. It was crazy. And um, coach literally said, coach, Coach Lanny Richards uh, literally said, give the ball to Eric. We're going four flat every time down because uh, they didn't, they, they weren't playing with me and I was playing with them. I wasn't selfish, but uh, it, it, it got to that point where guys, you know, were beginning to think more of themselves than they were. So, and uh, they didn't want to play with me. So it was crazy. Eric, you uh, you also beat you also beat Woolridge your junior year um, in the state tournament. Ben, state tournament. Ben, Benson was yeah. number one. Benson was number one, and yeah. you you had a uh, you yeah. had you had thirty five and ten that night, uh, and you guys went to the state championship game. But but the the thing that the thing that still makes me laugh a little bit is you know he needs forty seven points to in the state championship game your senior year. To break your class, yeah. to break to break your yeah. your class A scoring record, and man, I bet you were. I bet watching that thing, you, you weren't very happy. I, I was. I was really sick. I was like, I was like Hastings. Are you guys serious right now? You guys are gonna let him just do this? It was like they just laid down. I I I never like. I for me, I I was like just so prideful that I wouldn't allow anybody to include Michael Jordan or anybody to do that to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it's just like they, I mean, they didn't double team. They didn't let, I mean, it's like you just let one guy and you're in the state championship just do that to you. And yeah, of course it, it made me sick. And he ends up, I think taking the class A state record by a couple points. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, but you know, I also attribute it to the fact that you know we didn't we didn't go to the playoffs. We, we if had we go to the state tournament, then you know that whole thing would be different. You know what I mean? So you know, I just kind of chalked it up and, and and good for him. Yeah, you know, um, I celebrate him, and, and I'm sure it'll be broken again. It still stands, though. Can you believe that? It still stands. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. There's, uh, there's a new group of kids that are coming. There's a new group of kids that are coming uh, that I saw when they were in fourth and fifth grade. Uh, you know the Chucky Hepburns and and that that crew of young players. They may be the ones that do it. Hmm. Um, and I, I saw I saw it coming. Um, you know that there's a group of talented young kids that are on their way, and, and I think it's in that group. Eric, you go down to Nebraska, and you're part of the uh, you're part of the best recruiting class in school history. Uh, Jerron Boone, Andre Woolridge, yeah. you, and then Terrence Badgett, who who had redshirted the previous year. Uh, and you guys, you know, there's all this hype about about uh, sort of Nebraska's version of the Fab Four. Uh, what do you What do you remember about that? I mean, that was there was like there was like genuine hype for Nebraska basketball. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, we we were excited. Um, we were excited to to you know still have the opportunity to continue to play together. 
uh, we had competed against each other uh, in, in many different times. And then to add Jerron to the mix, who was hi- highly touted coming out of Salt Lake at that time as well. Um, you know, I, we, we, we thought that we were going to be able to do um, phenomenal things. Of course, you know, it didn't work out. Andy didn't stay. Um, um, you know, as a point guard, uh, Andy was a little bit behind as far as what we did at Nebraska, being that we were hard-nosed defensive one-on-one man-to-man team. And, you know, Andre didn't get that out of high school because at Benson they played zone. They played a matchup zone. So um, he didn't he didn't come with that set, and, and it kind of left him behind a little bit and trying to catch up and and you know we were pretty much we were pretty much ready uh and and i and 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 the same concepts that danny was teaching you know lanny had given to me you know uh throughout my career at at the ws so it was uh i just came a little bit further along just because of those 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 little reasons you guys uh, had kind of a rocky middle of the season, and then you turn around and you uh, you win the Big Eight tournament. And man, that was that's as good as Nebraska basketball ever got. What what do you uh, what are the most vivid memories of that weekend? Man, um, we we knew we had to get a couple, you know, in order for us to get in. We we. You know, we knew that without that, we, we probably would come up short. So, um, you know, we we had made a run at the end of that, that season, and we ended up playing Missouri at Missouri, and that pissed us off because we felt they stole that one from us. And um, we, we knew that if we beat Oklahoma, we would probably get them again. And we did. So we, we went out, took care of business, and, you know, got Oklahoma out of there. I think we scored almost 100 points that game. I mean, we were on fire. Pike was on fire. Um, that, that put us against Missouri again, and we were, we were not happy about what happened uh, there. And so we were just, we're going to beat their head in. That's kind of how we felt. And we did. And so now we're facing a really tough Oklahoma State team. And we say, you know what? Why not us? You know what I mean? Let's do something no one has ever done. And we faced them. You know, we were unmanned, uh, you know, unmatched. You know, Bruce Chubbick having the, you know, battle against uh, big country. And we did. We fought them tooth and nail and and ended up pulling it out and did something that uh, had never been accomplished before. So we were excited. You uh, you remember the bus ride home? Absolutely. I mean, riding home and literally having Nebraska fans dang near laced from you know the Missouri border. I mean, the Kansas the Kansas border all the way back to Lincoln and the Devaney Center was just it was phenomenal. Um, it, 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 it helped me to understand why I chose Nebraska. And, and to be able to give them that was, was uh, one of the greatest feats that um, you know, I had as a player. Hmm. Uh, 
what what did your where did your drive come from, Eric? I mean, you know, as you as you reflect on your personality, um, where, where do you think it comes from? Man, I, I think I think the Lord, man. Um, you know, and then my dad, my dad pushing me. You know, whenever, whenever um, I, I wanted to even operate with a spirit of mediocrity. You know, um, my dad wouldn't allow it. And, you know, whenever uh, others I thought were getting away with, you know, the mistakes they were making, my dad wouldn't allow me to do it. Uh, it was, he was much harder on me. When he coached me, he was much harder on me than he was on players, other other players. And so I think that just instilled something in me to be, uh, competitive and be the best that I could be uh, whenever I went against anyone. Your uh, what was your what was your favorite favorite game down there in Lincoln? Oh man, you know it'd have to be it definitely have to be that uh, you know the Missouri game. I'd probably say Michigan State. Uh, when they were they were ranked, you know, uh, pretty well, and they came in there, and we also went up there and beat them, you know. So we swept them. That was a really tough team with the Eric Snow and Sean Respert group. Um, the Kansas game uh, that have to be up there. Oh man, to have those fans, you know, just the way they were is. They they came out, man. I you know I, I it's so many. I don't even know if I can limit it to one. What was your uh, l- looking back now that you've you know you, you've played for Don Nelson, you've played for Isaiah Thomas, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, you've played for some really interesting people. Uh, what was looking back? How do you reflect on Danny Knee and, and his his personality, his style? Uh, you know the way that he connected and and didn't connect with players. What do you what do you think looking back at, at him? Well, Danny was a great recruiter. I mean, <laughs> he can he could sell snow to a Florida to Florida State in 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 the middle of the summer. You know, I mean that's that's. That's how good he was. I mean, he was really good at showing you the, you know, the vision and, and and selling you on that. Danny wasn't a great X and O guy. He wasn't. That wasn't what he was good at. He was he was good at getting you to buy in to what we were trying to accomplish, and that's what he was great at. Um, you know, one of the things that I think Danny hurt Danny was. Um, you didn't feel he cared. You, you felt like it was a business transaction. You know, there were times when, you know, I'd have conversations with Danny and Danny would be like, yeah, you know, we're going to go ahead and get you set up and, uh, you know, we're going to get you a good agent and get you overseas. And I'm like, overseas? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm not trying to play overseas. Yeah, that's a good option. But, you know, so... Did he really believe that the NBA was possible for me? You see what I'm saying? So, you know, I had those wars of attrition with him. Um, but, 
you know, that's, I think, part of what led us to what happened our senior year is, you know, I think players didn't believe he cared. Like, you know, he didn't, they, they maybe didn't feel that he believed in us other than the fact that we were there winning him games. But other than that, Danny was a great guy. Um, he was a, I liked him as a coach, you know, you know, other than those, those, those things that maybe I felt, you know, maybe he didn't feel that way, but maybe it came across, cross that way. Eric, you, you, you expressed interest, uh, in, in, you know, being an assistant coach, uh, up here, Doc Sadler for Doc Sadler and for Tim Miles, I think too, right? Uh, what was, is that, yeah. is that still something that, I mean, Take me through that time period. I mean, you were that would have that would have been a really cool homecoming for you. Yeah, I, I just wanted to help the program. You know what I mean? I didn't want to. I didn't want to head the program. I didn't want to be the face of the program. I wanted to just be beside those guys and to pull for them for the success of the program. And one of the things that I always believed, and and I still do, that a lot of people don't understand the Nebraska dynamic of how to sell it to guys that have never been there or experienced it before, other than the facilities and all the other stuff that come with it, what it means to wear red and, and, and why you should give all your all for it, you know? And, I just thought I understood it. And being that I lived there, I played there, and I had success there, I could I could sell it. And I could show them why. Because whenever recruits, you know, why you have Teron Lewis and why you have Mikey Moore and why you have a lot of those guys that came through there and had the success is because, you know, I was able to speak to them. You know what I mean? I was the guy that they mostly sent them to, you know. So you were, uh, you, you know, even your boy, Ty Webster, even Ty Webster, you know, Ty Webster wouldn't have been there had it not been, you know, for the conversation I had with him and his father, they weren't, they weren't going to sign. They weren't, they, they, I sat beside them. I happened to be in town for that day. I sat beside them and had a real in-depth conversation with both him and their dad. And, Showed them why Ty you should go. Yeah, there's, there's no question. He would. He told me specifically he was not gonna come. Really? And the father wasn't. Then, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. He told me specifically. You know, that's not a violation in any way. You know what I mean? It's just that I would happen to be sitting there having a conversation with him. Uh, are you Are you married to uh, to Deion Sanders' ex wife? Yes, that is my wife. Okay, Carolyn. You've got a son who's is he a prospect? Dion Dion has graduated now. He was playing at uh, Dion uh, Junior was playing at SMU and and he decided to forego his senior year. Had a coaching change and he was coming off an all America. Uh, I mean, uh, all conference season and the coaching change just kind of left a bad taste in his mouth and so he decided to forego his senior year. So yeah, no. Then my oldest son. Uh, He's uh, he's studying in school to you know to 
do like cybersecurity. I thought he was going to be a good one. Uh, he's like six six two sixty, but he just decided not to not to not to play. So really, how, I, was, I was okay with that. He just decided. Um, he just decided to go a different route, and that and that's okay. And I always told him that that it's okay for him, you know, to make a choice to do something different. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. If you have feedback on this episode or any others, please send me an email at dirk.chatelaine at owh.com. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. We'll see you next week.